T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We probably could not have picked a busier week to want to talk with Chicago's mayor. So much has happened over the past seven days. From former House Speaker Michael Madigan's indictment and the state and city lifting most indoor mask requirements to efforts on public safety within the city of Chicago. We're lucky to get Lori Lightfoot to sit still long enough for a conversation. But we did. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Mayor Lightfoot really needs no introduction. We have so much to talk about. You know what? We're just going to dive in this time. We are conducting this interview at the Mayor's City Hall office. It's one of the few face-to-face interviews we've done in the past two years, and we are socially distanced. Um, Mayor Lightfoot, thank you very much for having me in. It's always a pleasure. Um, Well, no longer an idle question as we uh, are coming out of a pandemic, but how are you? (laughs) An interesting question. Not sure the one I thought you'd lead with. But, you know, look, I think like all of us who have been through this most extraordinary experience, um, I have good days and I have bad days. I think mostly good days. I feel very optimistic and hopeful. Um, but I'm reflecting back on my own experience recently with COVID. Luckily, it was mostly mild. Um, but it really helps bring things into focus. Um, we've got a lot of challenges on our plate, um, but I look really forward to embracing them every day as I, as I have for the now almost three years of my tenure as mayor. And we're talking uh, just days after the uh, city uh, relaxed its face, and in fact ended its face mask and vaccine requirements uh, for <laughs> most restaurants, bars, taverns, health clubs, and entertainment venues that serve food. So now all eyes are on the Chicago public schools. Um, you've got anxious parents on both sides of the uh, equation here and the teachers union to contend with. Uh, how soon do you expect uh, CPS to uh, decide what direction it's going in? Well, first of what I would say is I feel very fortunate that we're even able to have this conversation. When Omicron first hit our city, it was scary. And it was the most nervous that I've been since the very beginning of the pandemic. And we knew we needed to act and act quickly. And that's why we imposed the mitigation efforts that we did. But I will say, not as dramatic and I think draconian as we had in the past. We didn't put on any capacity limits or any of the other things that we felt were necessary in 2020 um, because we have a very highly vaccinated city, not enough, 
not enough, and particularly not in black Chicago, but we're able to have this conversation about lifting mitigation um, efforts because of the work that's been done both within and outside of city government uh, with our local partners. I would expect that CPS will be making an announcement um, on this very issue in the coming days. There's been a lot of conversation. They're looking at their own data. Um, they're talking to their stakeholders, of course, the unions, the principals, the parents, the LSCs, and they're looking at what their data is. They've got some schools that are very highly vaccinated, but then they've got other schools that remain very challenged with low vaccination rates. It's difficult in that environment to craft a one-size-fits-all um, policy, but I think we've got a bring parents and students along on this journey at the same time, and that's what CPS is doing, but I would expect them to be making an announcement um, here shortly. And uh, talking about dramatic, uh, let's talk about uh, the biggest headline of the week, and that is, uh, you know, Michael Madigan, mm -hmm. the former speaker of the Illinois House, uh, being indicted on corruption charges as a former federal prosecutor. Uh, is there a sense of... Uh, triumph for seeing someone like uh, Madigan facing charges or sadness that he's, uh, you know, really the latest in a very long line? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say really either, um, and definitely not um, triumph. Uh, the, an indictment is the beginning of a process, or it's, it's not the beginning, it's a milestone in a lengthy process. It's certainly not the end. And, you know, from the prosecutor's standpoint, nobody's taking a victory lap because a grand jury returned a true bill. What this means is a covert uh, investigation now becomes public, but then now the defendant has a lawyer who can use the courts to um, try to dismantle the charges that have been brought and challenge um, the indictment and whether or not it has legal sufficiency. But I think there's a couple of interesting through lines in this. Number one, you know, with the, with the important caveat that the two defendants named in the indictment are entitled to a presumption of innocence, with that important caveat, what the indictment, I think, lays out is a true infrastructure built to facilitate favors and financial benefits to the speaker and people in his orbit. And that a major company, namely ComEd, was um, a willing participant in being a big part of that um, criminal, alleged criminal enterprise. That's distressing. And we know that because almost now two years ago, in July of 2020, um, the government detailed a lengthy deferred prosecution agreement where many of these details were laid out again. I think, for me, a couple of um, important takeaways. I read the indictment with great interest, not only because of this is what I did for a big chunk of my life, but also as the mayor of the city, looking at where there were weaknesses in the way in which city government, and particularly city council, is structured that would have facilitated the kind of criminal conduct that's alleged in the indictment. There are two um, former aldermen who are cryptically described but obvious, um, and then, I'm sorry, three actually that are cryptically described but obvious, and then there's a question about others that may be also on the current city payroll. That is a great 
cause for concern for me. And, you know, many members of the city council have spoken publicly about we don't need any more reforms. I don't, I don't think that's right or accurate. And I'm going to work with them to try to uh, get them to understand ways in which the process as it works, particularly around zoning, continues to be flawed and ripe for corruption. And that is a fact that we have to reckon with. The other thing that I think is an interesting through line through this 106-page indictment, while it's 106 pages and there are some real specifics in there, there's a lot that is very vaguely referenced at a high level. I would expect there will be a superseding indictment that lays out more details than what we know right now. Now, going forward, uh, beyond this story, uh, as you point out, there are ramifications for city government. You were elected in part, um, and, and I, I don't think it's unfair to, uh, to say that uh, the federal indictment of uh, Ed Burke played a significant role in no that doubt election. No doubt whatsoever. Uh, so going forward, what must happen in the city of Chicago uh, to stop that tide from, from coming in again? And are you going to get the kind of cooperation that you need from the city council members? Look, the devil is in the details. Where, where I think we all agree is that aldermen are, have a very important and essential role to play in helping um, manage the way in which government intersects with the residents in their individual wards. They know the ward better than anybody else. They're on the ground every day. They're on the front lines. And so they have an important voice. There's no question whatsoever about that. The challenge is, how is that voice used? And is it used in a way that's transparent? Is it used in a way that is always in the public's interest and not in the individual alderman's interest? And that's, I think, where the rubber really meets the road. You cannot read that indictment and not have pause about the way in which um, Danny Solis ran the zoning committee for his own profit and the profit of others in a way that wasn't just unethical, it was illegal. And we have to take this moment to reflect on what, if anything, has changed. And it cannot just be personality-driven. Tom Tunney is a man, in my view, of impeccable integrity. He's not always forevermore going to be the zoning committee chair. What do we need to do to build in some institutional guardrails to make sure that new, no matter who uh, heads up that very important and powerful committee, that they are going to operate on the right side of the law and that the work that's being done by that um, committee and projects that are being brought forward and supported by aldermen are supported for the right ethical, legal reasons. Same thing with the Finance Committee and really every other committee that deals with dollars and cents and doles out how city resources and taxpayer dollars are spent. 
We have an obligation to do that examination, particularly in light of the range of allegations in that indictment that suggests that the processes of government were completely subverted for personal gain. Um, I want to turn to the makeup of that city council because we are in the midst of a remap process. And uh, it looks like the uh, uh, Black Caucus and the Latino caucuses, which have more or less their own ideas about how the line should be redrawn, are not compromising. Uh, They're not agreeing. And that seems to set up almost an inevitable uh, referendum um, you don't think a referendum is <laughs> is wise. Uh, at what point do you have to step in before that uh, that trigger is pulled? Well, look, the redrawing of ward lines is uniquely a matter that must, in the first instance, be led by the city council. There is an impasse, but people are continuing to talk. And I think that's a positive thing. And I think there are movements being made. But it's not for me to describe those at this point. I am following it very closely. I'm getting regular updates from all sides. I have a very clear idea of how a compromise can be reached. But we've got to get people there. And they're not there yet. Unfortunately, the process became extraordinarily acrimonious. People dug in. Personalities took over ahead of principle and practical political reality. I still have some confidence that a deal can be met, but it's not my process. Although, let's face it, what you're saying is how it's supposed to work. With your predecessors, it, it, you know, I've only been here, you know, three decades. Uh, <laughs> and it's, I've been through, this is my third one. It doesn't work that way. A mayor has had to step in every time. Uh, is, is, and how do you avoid that? When well, you- it's, it's not avoiding it. It's the manner in which it's done and how and how we do it, the devil's in the details. I am never governed in my almost three years of being mayor in a top-down, my way or the highway fashion. I don't buy votes, and because I don't give away the taxpayer dollars to buy votes, you have to govern from a very different position and perspective, which means you've got to build those coalitions on issues one frame at a time. I will inject myself into the process, and I have, when I think it's productive and will lead to solutions. I do not think a referendum is in the best interest of anyone, not the least of which is the taxpayers of the city. And, and I've been very clear about that. It's a distraction. It's a waste of time and money when a compromise should be made. A compromise, it means somebody gets something, somebody, that same somebody loses something. Compromise. It's what we teach our children. And we have to get there. And I think we can get there. But we've got to put personality and personal agendas to the side and get to the table and and hash out a real deal. And when it's appropriate for me to reassemble 
that group, I will do so. They're not there yet. And I think it's important that the aldermen continue to talk to each other and work together. And that part is happening. It's not visible like it was before, but it is absolutely happening. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, although technically I am the guest because we are recording this in her <laughs> city hall office. Uh, I, I We need to turn to what I think is inarguably the top concern of the people of Chicago, in fact, for the whole region, if not the state, and that's public safety. Yes. Um, we've, we've discussed this very point before. Crime statistics show a decrease in some crimes, but children are still dying. Uh, people still don't feel safe yep. and, <clears throat> in their neighborhoods and downtown. Um, what can you say that will encourage them that uh, things will feel better and be as well as be better? Well, look, it's not enough for me to say it. They've got to see it and feel it for themselves. And what I want to say um, and assure people is that we are working our tails off every single day to bring that reality of peace to our city. I've been very clear about this. Our common enemy, no matter where we sit, are three things. Guns, gangs, and poverty. And let me deconstruct each of those. The guns... 90-plus percent of the people who were killed in Chicago last year and really in recent years died because of gun violence. We have too many illegal guns on our street. That is why we have stepped up our enforcement efforts. We have increased the number of gun teams that are out there to be in concert with our federal partners to work on trafficking, to shut down these illegal trafficking networks, and to arrest people who illegally possess firearms. In my perspective, when somebody is a pos illegally possessing a firearm, what that means is we haven't caught them yet shooting. Illegal gun possession is a serious threat to public safety, and we can never, ever take that lightly. That means we also have to arrest people. We, it means we also have to appropriately and constitutionally engage in car stops because what we're also seeing is that a lot of these shootings are people riding around in cars and shooting from vehicles. So when we follow our data and we engage in constitutional policing, we are going to make our city safer. And we're seeing some progress already this year. Shootings themselves are down 10%. Homicides are down, but not nearly enough. No one's taking a victory lap, nor can we when every single day shootings happen and too frequently those shootings result in homicides. But we are being diligent about holding people accountable, particularly when it comes to illegal guns. And we will keep pushing our federal partners to do their part, to step up. They need more resources here in this district. I'm a broken record on that with people in Washington. Our senior senators um, know that. They are working with us. But we've got to get the, the uh, law enforcement, federal law enforcement, fully staffed up in this district. That's guns. What about gangs? We can give no shelter to the gangs because the gangs and other violent, dangerous people are the ones that are actively out there selling drugs, um, 
committing other crimes so they can purchase firearms and increase their profit motive. That's why I will continue to push on every lever that we have at our disposal, including using civil forfeiture of gang leaders' monies because we've got to strike every blow that we can against the gangs. And then the third part, which is an important part. If you look back over the arc of our history in this city, what we have seen every time there's a spike in violence is we throw massive police resources at the problem. And I understand that. We've got to immediately deal with the threat. But the long-term play is investment. We simply cannot just arrest our way out of this problem because otherwise we're going to keep repeating the cycle that we've been repeating for decades. That's why $1.2 billion of our current year budget is about investing our way out of this problem. Poverty is a source of the reason that we have violence in too many neighborhoods because poor people who don't have jobs, who don't have opportunity, still have the same basic needs for food and shelter that we all do. And if we don't have a legal economy that they can participate in and access it, they're going to participate, too many of them, and too many of our young men's in that illegal economy to be able to take care of their families. It is not a justification ever, ever, ever. But it is a reality that the root cause of a lot of our violence arises from the desperate environmental and economic circumstances in which way too many of our young people and their families find themselves in. And if we want to bring peace, real lasting peace, to our neighborhoods that have been crime plagued for way too long, the long-term play must be investments and bringing hope and opportunity to these neighborhoods. Um, I have to uh, ask you, though, are you making any changes to the gang asset forfeiture ordinance um, to address any of the concerns and, frankly, a lot of questions that uh, Alderman had um, for your team uh, when they Mm -hmm. only narrowly uh, even let it out of committee. And I know you've delayed it, the vote, so that it likely will come up this month. Well, I don't think 10 to 4 vote is narrow. So I would, I would take issue with that. But look, the bottom line is this is an um, important issue. It's one that I appreciate that our, our colleagues in city council um, are engaged in. And we, have made, we made changes pre the uh, public safety committee vote as a result of the feedback. We've gotten additional feedback. Um, so we'll, I'd expect us to introduce a substitute uh, ordinance. Um, But this is important. It's important that we get it right. And it's important that we um, are open to, as we have been and we must, to the feedback of aldermen on this really um, significant issue that's going to impact the quality of life across our city. 
I'm going to have to touch on a couple of other uh, headlines quickly. Uh, one of them, uh, the, the latest one, uh, can you comment on the uh, lawsuit by the former deputy general counsel for the Park District who accused you of using some obscene language referencing him and tangentially Italian-Americans involved with the uh, use of a Columbus statue in a parade? And that's what he's alleging. Well, thank you for underscoring that's what he's alleging. Um, some of the reporting I've seen suggested it's fact. Um, look, I don't typically comment on pending um, litigation um, for the obvious reasons, but I do feel compelled to say something about this one. I am deeply offended by the ridiculous and outrageous allegations in that lawsuit and the suggestion that somehow I hold animus towards Italians and Italians Americans. Nothing could ever be further from the truth. I look forward to the facts being um, uh, proven in a court of law and really underscoring the fact that this lawsuit has zero merit. One of the other headlines, uh, more of a, a more personal one, I would guess. Uh, was 10th Ward Alderwoman uh, Susan Sadlowski-Garza went on a radio program and flatly said she wouldn't support you for re-election. She's been one of your most ardent supporters, and not just on labor issues, which is her, mm-hmm. her, her major thing, but she suggested you have a way of rubbing even allies the wrong way. You've gotten things done, but will that keep happening if some of your, even your friends feel slighted? Or, or well, I would just say this. I I think it's important to um, underscore the context in which the older woman made those statements. She went on to a radio program to talk about a very raw and emotional topic for her, which was the um, horrible murder of her goddaughter, who she regarded as like her own child. Her emotions were extraordinarily raw, and the reporter pushed and pushed and pushed. So I consider the context in which she made those comments. She and I have had a um, very candid uh, conversation since then. And look, here's where I am. And I'm unabashed. I love Sue Garza. Full stop. I care deeply about her, her family, her husband, her children. And we have done very significant things to better the lives of working individuals and families in the city. And I have zero doubt that we will continue to do exactly that. One minor follow-up, and the, the, la- the last one probably, especially looking at the time, um, in an earlier address, and I think it was your one-year uh, uh, anniversary, you talked about the need to be more open to those who don't agree with you. Mm -hmm. Is that a work in progress? (laughs) Well, I think what I would say is everybody's got to take steps in everybody's direction. It's not just a relationship that I own entirely. And there are some people who don't want to walk um, in my direction and be productive. They're very happy to just throw bombs from the sidelines and not work towards solutions um, that really improve the quality of life of people in the city. I won't name names, but I think you can figure out who they are. 
And that's something that they're going to have to continue with if they seek reelection. Um, I would look at what we've accomplished since, and I'll take your word that it was one year, we've done unbelievable things for our city in not quite three years. We have um, passed historic legislation uh, to help improve the quality of life. We've managed a pandemic, uh, I think, in a really remarkable way by working together. We have kept people safe, um, even in our darkest times, um, because of the way in which we've collaborated across city government um, and in the community. We have um, provided millions hundreds of millions of dollars in supports to small businesses, to renters, to landlords, um, to other businesses that are, were really devastated through the pandemic, all with the collaboration and support of an overwhelming majority of members of the city council. So I would just say the proof is in the pudding here. So there's a lot of noise and conversations about, oh, what's the mayor's personality? Is she too tough? Does she use coarse language? Um, and your your listeners can't see my eye roll, <clears throat> but I noted it. But look at the work that we have done. Look at the accomplishments that we've had through the city council, passing two budgets where we had historic budget deficits because of practices before I became mayor, and a third budget where we passed the most progressive budget in the history of this city with $1.2 billion in investments that are going to redound to the benefit of residents in the city for generations to come. If we focus on not the personality, but we focused on the product and the production, it's an astounding body of work. That is going to be the final word, and thank you very much. That is Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, to our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's WBBMNewsRadio.com. There's a uh, link on the homepage. You can also find our podcast on Radio.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue. I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 105.9 WBBM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 